And welcome on in, everyone. Welcome to Downloadable Content Live for our fourth episode here of Season 11. And I am joined by the Ron duet. We have Ron and Ronnie with me tonight. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. We are going to be chatting all about Metroidvania games this evening. It's a, it's a fun genre. It's a it's an awesome awesome subject to talk about. Something we've done here on DLC in the past, where we've devoted an episode to specific genres of games, and Metroidvanias have been around for quite a while. So we figured that uh, be a good time to chat about them. So before we, I mean, do- it works out for me because it's my favorite genre. <laughs> hey, and you know. Good, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say, but don't worry. I have the eject button right on the side of my desk. Um, you don't know it, Ronnie, but I'm going to tell you. I've I've fitted some some ballistics and spring loaded mechanisms to your chair. Um, hey, I can't go for that long without someone to play off of. Can't just blame it on me. I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, yes, we are your foils, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, springboard, the springboard, the bouncy ball. Yes. <laughs> but before we dive into discussion, just want to remind everyone that every single episode of downloadable content, all hundred and almost 90 episodes at this point, can be found on our website, dlcpodcast.com. And every single episode can be found also on iTunes, our Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, all the ways to get downloadable content into your ears. So it's all there. If you want to, you want to hear what we sounded like eleven years ago. You can do that. You no, can. you don't. <laughs> I mean, you can. If you really want to? But, uh, yes, it's a. It's just one of those. Is like, I mean, yeah, you can listen to those early episodes if you want. They're all there. So, but all right. So yeah, we're we're gonna talk about Metroidvanias tonight, and this this is one of those those genres that is it seems to be pretty it like it's one of those genres that see it knows what it is and for the most part does it well. Like it's not so. Uh... It's also a genre that's dominated in the indie space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, a lot of the games that we're probably going to be talking about are have been, have been done, have been created by indie devs. And I'm sure we've got a... With the three of us, I'm sure we've got quite the list. Absolutely. So what is a Metroidvania, if you're not familiar with the term? I will... I will, I will I will yield to Ronnie since this is his favorite genre. So I'm going to, I'm going to yield to, to Ronnie here. It's also uh, the concept of what a Metroidvania is. I think me and Spencer debated back and forth on a previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Metroidvanias generally have two primary key components. And that is that they are inherently nonlinear games um, not that there cannot be a linear story associated with them, but that there are 
multiple branching paths that you can go off and explore different places, and that those paths are gated through the use of lock and key abilities. And by lock and key ability, I mean there's a rock in your way. Later on, you get an ability that lets you destroy rocks. The ability to destroy rocks is the is the key. The rock is the lock. And that can be with anything. Oh, you need a double jump to be able to get into this. Until you get the double jump, you can't do this area. Um, now, you can get very creative with what those are, but those two things between being nonlinear and being gated by utility abilities um, is the key components. Um, there are other components that are commonly associated with Metroidvanias, but are not... Uh, in every single one of them, many of them have uh, some sort of way of uh, character progression, um, whether it is e EXP, like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, or it's gaining new souls from uh, Aria of Sorrow, um, or it's just getting, getting new weapons and armors and stuff such as in Metroid. Um, but that is not a universal, other than gaining new abilities to, to open up new things, Progression outside of that is not universal, but it is very common. They also typically are 2D games, though I'm going to argue uh, for a couple 3D games that fit the Metroidvania formula, even though they aren't traditionally considered Metroidvanias. Um, but that's... Does that all make sense? I mean, it, By and large. It, it makes sense to me. I think you've you've covered all the bases. I mean, we have you know just from the name alone, it's it's a it's a combination of the of the game of the word the Metroid and Castlevania, and uh, you're right. I didn't explain that. You got so into the into the technical details of it that you know it's it's named for these two franchises. It's Metroid. You have the mechanics of Metroid and the mechanics of Castlevania. Combine them together, and you get. Mwah. Hey, I mentioned a Metroid game and a Castlevania game. Do I get credit for that? You'll get partial credit for that. I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I will give you that. And and Schlifty, welcome. Ha I'm doing well. Long time no see. We are talking Metroidvanias here on downloadable content. Always good to have viewers. Always good to have viewers. But yes, I think you covered your your the bases pretty well. Uh, Ron, anything to add? Uh, not really. Covered it pretty well. Um, I will say that it is a genre that doesn't usually get a lot of outward press, but usually when people see a game. It's one of those games that you, it's a genre that people don't recognize until they see it. Where it's like, okay, it's an action game, it's an adventure game, it's a platform game, what have you. But like, as soon as you generally see like a Metroidvania game, they go, oh, okay, this is a Metroidvania game. I know what I'm going, getting into. That's a key thing, I think, for Metroidvania in that it's more of an addition to another genre like it is its own distinct genre but you're there's no such thing as a metroidvania with nothing else it's a metroidvania action game it's a metroidvania rpg it's a metroidvania adventure game yeah to describe the mechanics of the game itself because metroidvania is more about how the world is built than it is about how you interact with that world yeah the the exploration is kind of the goal 
Exactly. It's it's it, as you know, as you've already mentioned, it's it's an it's they're non-linear games. This is not your standard like level progression platformer like a, like a Mario or a Sonic. This is you know you start off you know you could start off in the middle of the map. The overall map is your starting point, and you've got so many branchings, so many branching paths from your starting point. It's the- and that's a key thing because. A lot of people think all Metroidvanias are platformers in some way, and that's not true. I can name several Metroid, clear Metroidvanias that are not platformers. Many of them are, but not all of them. Yes, yes, many of them are. It's definitely the most common genre for Metroidvanias, but it is not the only, uh, obviously not the only genre. There are multiple other ones that play in that space. Uh, most commonly, you're going to be seeing... Um platforming then action like action and action rpg almost yeah almost absolutely. almost equal parts yeah no a- absolutely i think oh you have brian do you have a photography fact i do I, this is because i forgot to disable all of the uh <laughs> the um the channel <laughs> points because normally we do this on the dlc podcast handle instead of my do own you have photography facts related to video games um i can see if i can try to pull one out of my ass in the meantime uh but no i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna... I, I have i have i have like a video fact related to video games i don't know if i that's probably mentioned before you you can do that i'm gonna go in and disable okay. all of these because so... <laughs> uh I, I i forgot to do so, that so generally speaking games have been rendered with frame rates in mind and the how many animations of cells and things like that you have occur within a single single second, right? Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how well in fact this is, but in the past it used to be that game some game mechanics were tied to frame rate because that was yes. usually perceived to be a, a fixed thing. This and and if a, you needed to uh, for some games, if you speed it, if you uh, increase the speed on the game, it would literally increase the frame rate because that's the only way to increase the speed of the yeah. simulation. And that ends up being that if um, certain games, like if you play the original Diablo 2 um, and you have an, a quote-unquote unlocked frame rate, your character zooms around the map at 500 feet a second because the game movement and a, a, several of those damage abilities were tied to how fast the, were tied to frame rate. Absolutely. You are absolutely correct. Um, then they sometimes... finally unlinked frame rate from the simulation because that they re- was they realized really limiting. That, yeah, they realized it was very limiting. And they also realized it was also wildly difficult to balance around. And it still ha- but it still happens today. And when it does happen, is usually not done as a good thing. It's usually done as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so, but, um, yeah, if you ever want to look up, like, old videos of Diablo 2, I believe the game was designed to run at 24 FPS. Try uncapping the frame rate and just seeing how fast your character moves. There we go. I've, I've done the thing. Thank you for the filler. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Back to Metroidvanias. Uh, I was going to say, I, I have a photo fact. Oh, do you? All right. Do you, do you know what the first game with a photo mode was? The first game with a 
photo mode. Game I, Boy Camera yeah. thing? Hmm? So the Game Boy Camera thing? So there, if you count that, uh, that's not what I was. I meant in the game. That would be earlier. You were correct than what I was going to say. Okay, you you meant like you meant, you meant like a camera in the middle of a yes, game. Yes, where you can take where you can go and take photos in the middle of the game, a camera mode, a photo mode. Oh. It's probably in some Nintendo game. Like like so, NES Nintendo. I don't know if this is actually true. This is what I have been told in the past at the time that Gran Turismo 4 was the first one to have an actual photo mode. You know, there were things. It, bef- yes, it wouldn't surprise me given how pretty that ge- how pretty the Gran Turismo yeah. games are. Like there were things that had like that interacted with an external camera, like the Game Boy camera, but for actually being in the game to let you take pictures of what's going on, that was the first one with an actual photo mode. And uh, Wikipedia corroborates that. So, uh... woohoo! My fact was true. <laughs> That's not very, that's not often the case on the internet. <laughs> but according Ron's to- like, that does not sound right. He is, he is thinking right now. I, okay. I like, don't get me wrong. I could definitely believe it being Gran Turismo doing it first. But this sounds like the thing they would have done like Gran Turismo 3, not Gran I- Turismo 4. According to the virtual photography article on Wikipedia, Gran Turismo 4 was the first game to have an, an actual, a built-in photo mode. Like a photo, okay, photo and photo editing. Okay, I guess photo editing too is... Yeah. yeah okay, I, if, if you include photo editing, which is not a thing I was thinking, I was just thinking like taking a picture or like in, in-game screenshot basically, or even a in-game... Uh, like we're going with screenshots. We're going all the way back to early computer games because you could take screenshots of yeah. all of those. Yeah. But these these are ones that and, like yeah. where you can frame it and change the change the angles and the lighting. Change the angel like and the lighting and the F scope and the focus lenses and all that bullshit. Yeah. Hydrate. Okay, yeah, Grand Turismo Four. I can see that then. Yeah, the hydrate one I left open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also have a giant thing of water. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've established basically what a metroidvania is we want to talk about some <laughs> uh, i mean uh, i suppose we should start off with the classics that named the genre i mean I, ideally Metroid castlevania though when we're talking this, they both came out very early on, but early Castlevanias are not actually what we're talking about. The yeah. Castlevania side of Metroidvania really started with Symphony of the Night. That is that that is the that is the Castlevania game that I hear about most often. And if it did it come out on PS1? Is that a PS uh Sega Saturn and PS1. Okay. I believe and, two. Like Symphony of the Night in particular is is frequently held up as like as the gold standard of 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 Castlevania of of the series Castlevania, not of of Metroidvanias as a whole. Okay. But like whenever I see anything about Castlevania, the 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 name that the 
the the game in the series that pops up the most is Symphony of the Night. Now, full disclosure, I enjoy Metroidvania games, but I have not beaten a single Metroid or Castlevania game. So I will I will say uh from what you were just going off of Castlevania Castlevania Symphony of the Night is definitely what codified Metroidvania as a genre. On the other hand, I don't think it is the best Metroidvania as a whole, or the best Metroidvania in the Castlevania series. And we can get to that later, but it Ooh, definitely... opinions! <laughs> yeah, but it definitely codified it, brought it to the forefront, and it was definitely the biggest one up to that point. Yeah. Like, uh, to kind of expand upon that, like, up to that point... Like, is that Super Metroid? It was, it was basically just Metroid, Samus Returns, and then Super Metroid. Yes. Um, like, and Castlevania had similar... Like, like, the prior Castlevanias had some of this. It was still mostly a platforming action game where you went from left to right on the screen, and the screen scrolled along as you did. There were occasional branching paths where you could go, like, oh, I'm going to go down to the sewers, or I go through the burning town, or things like that. But it wasn't until Symphony of the Night that it actually kind of we got we got the like the some of some of the more like important features of the of the genre added. And actually I I will correct myself because uh obviously we had Super Metroid as well, and Super Metroid actually uh outsold Symphony of the Night by a significant margin. But once again, I I feel like Symphony of the Night is more what people think of when they think of their the the thing that codified Metroidvania, while Super Metroid was kind of like proto of the genre. Yeah, like like the the actual proto games are original Metroid, to a lesser extent, Samus Returns, and then um, mainly when people think Metroidvania, they think. Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Well, don't worry, Schlifty, because we have a lot of games that aren't Metroid or Castlevania we will be talking about shortly. Yeah. A absolutely. Um, I mean, Ro Ronnie, you know, basically he, you said, and again, again, corroborated by Wikipedia, that Symphony of the Night basically codified, that really established the genre. Like, that really set, set, it, uh, set it on its merry way. Yeah, I think part of it's also, like, when you have one game, that's an outlier. When you have two games, that's a genre. That That's that's a pattern. A pattern of success in, in the case of Sef Symphony of the Night and, you know, Super Metroid. On the other hand, it's a pattern that doesn't really continue for a little while. It, it took a little bit of a break. They had a couple games, like uh, Castlevania did... Castlevania did a couple of games on the mobile systems. Um, Aria of Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow are two uh, that I think are better than Symphony of the Night. Um, I, I actually prefer that are in that style. Um, of course, we got a couple other Metro, a couple Metroids after this, but for the most part, it wasn't until indie gaming got their hooks in the genre that it really took off and became what it is today. Yeah, like, 
and and one of I think one of the the earliest ones um in the indie scene um this is one I I have played uh I'm, one second. I'm gonna take a guess is it cave story uh it is cave story congratulations yeah widely regarded as the as the first modern indie game yeah it came out uh in 2004. Xbox Live? Uh, It's like the Xbox Game Arcade thing? I think it was PC first. It was Windows first, Japan only, um, December 2004. It didn't come over to North America until 2010. Oh, okay. So it Okay, that's, that's not entirely fair. Um, I believe it was brought over well before that uh, as a fan translation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking official official, official releases. Yes. I'm just saying it was part of the culture long before that. Yes. Yes, it was. They're saying officially it it made it here March 2010 for the yeah. Wii. And the DS um, about a couple of weeks before the Wii release. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I mean, Cave Story... Cave Story has all the hallmarks of a Metroidvania. It is absolutely part of the genre. And it... Like I said, like, it... I don't necessarily consider... I don't necessarily believe it is the the first modern indie game, which it gets heralded as on a lot of lists, but it was definitely the... One of the most influential early indie games, especially in Japan, um, but its influence was felt over here. And it definitely, I think, started the trend towards Metroidvania as we see in the indie space. Well, I think part of that, too, is um, going back to the kind of the roots of the genre. Um, the Western audience tends to enjoy more sci-fi horror elements i think on average at the time um at the time japan, yeah yeah at the time then japan gets gets big into horror usually with like so like uh modern day horror with like resident evil a couple silent years hill. later silent hill things like that um but that's all that's all more supernatural modern day compared to like futuristic sci-fi stuff or in the case of Castlevania, your gothic, your gothic era, like supernatural stuff. I mean, Metroid started it early on because, like, it 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 wears its influences on its sleeve with relation to the Alien movies, yes, and, like all kinds of other stuff, and everything that came afterwards, like whether whether it's every every sci-fi metroidvania that came after that was in a conversation with metroidvania whether it was taking that influence and trying to do new stuff with it or if it was directly trying to do something else all of it is in comparison to metroid they're all well aware of that similar to i don't think you really have a fantasy one that isn't in some way uh, in a conversation with the, with the Castlevania games, it's hard to do a fantasy 
Metroidvania because the, the, the line between fantasy and supernatural is, like, almost non-existent. I will say, but what if they were bugs? Then would fantasy say, work? I was going to say, if you want to go in the direction of Hollow Knight, then it's definitely <laughs> more, like, fantasy in that sense. And it makes more sense in Hollow Knight because, like, this is a bug fantasy world with still supernatural elements to it. I will actually say a lot of the fantasy-based, not all of them, but a lot of the fantasy-based uh, Metroidvanias all have non- or semi-human protagonists in that kind of world between uh, Owl Boy, um, uh, Owl Boy, Cave Story, not quite. Ori. Um, I was going to say Ori, uh, definitely Ori. Um, yeah, there. Uh, my brain's blanking. I know there's more that I can name, um, but I didn't. I didn't go. I, I made myself a list so I wouldn't remember forget the things. But I only did like a two dozen of the most influential ones. I'll add. I'll, I'll add Ender Lilies to that list as well. Um... Spoiler. Okay. Yeah, again, but the point again, the, the point being is like, is it out there? Yes. However, it's not as common as the sci-fi or supernatural side of things. I think Be that I, I think the fantasy side is about as common. It just it like I said, it, it might come out in different ways because like the, out of the most influential ones I have, about half of them are fancy and about half of them are sci-fi. Yeah, that's fancy sci-fi or fancy supernatural. Yeah, probably. Um, again, like the th the thing with supernatural is people tend to always associate supernatural with like Middle Ages, Renaissance, like that era level te of technology where people are walking around in well their boots and they're and they're attacking people with swords and things like that, versus even modern day were or fantasy specifically, I guess is when people usually say fancy, they're usually thinking elves, dwarves, dragons, when I, what have you along when with, I, when along I refer, with the, the, the swords. When I, when I refer to it, it's fantasy has, when fantasy has supernatural, that's where you get magic. That's where you get uh, the, the, the world has its own pulse and it has living things. And when you talk about sci-fi and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. You have psionics. You have like the these space fantasy kind of things. Like you you have fantasy supernatural being the if it's if it's old style Europe, it's probably and it has magic. It's probably fantasy. And if it's it has lots of robots and metal around and weird shit happens, then it's probably sci-fi. <laughs> Bird wizard, fantasy. Space bird wizard, sci-fi. Yes. yes, exactly. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a difference. The, the difference there is there is a one-word difference between the two, but it is, but it is decidedly that's it. different. And <laughs> and before somebody says anything, I am well aware that you have science fantasy as a compared to science fiction, um, <laughs> but that terminology doesn't really hit video games. That's more of when you're talking about fiction. So we're 
We're keeping it simple now. <laughs> yes. We can spend three hours diving into the weeds here, and uh, let's not. Yeah. So <laughs> We got a lot of video games to talk about. We do. I mean, I started with Cave Story as, as one of the one of the earlier indie ones. Um, yes. which have any, have any of the three of us played Cave Story? I have. I've beaten it. There we go. I played a little bit of it. I have not beaten it. I do intend to go back to it. Yep, I mean, I remember it being, I remember it it, it being pretty, pretty good. Um, something that Metroidvanias tend to have with their with their main characters, a very common theme. It's they they take the uh, they they all, most of the main characters in the Metroidvanias I've personally played all have amnesia. Every one of them, seemingly. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's not my experience. I was gonna say. Well, you know, wait, you've played Ori. Ori doesn't have amnesia. Like Ori's just lost. Ori, think, Ori, right? Ori's a spirit creature. I yes, but like what Ori has is really shitty developers. Uh, yes, yes. The head of Moon, the heads of Moon Studios are really, really shitty, shitty people, and I'm yeah, pisses me off. Uh, why, video game too. industry? Why? I was looking forward to them doing a third Ori game eventually to make up for my... Uh, I, while I loved both Ori games, I felt both of them were flawed in certain ways. I was really hoping for a third game that could try to... That could try to be... Look, it's, it's, it's so close to being that perfect Metroidvania, and it's not quite there for me. Um, but I was confident that they could figure it out in the third one. And then... It came out that they're a studio that I refuse to support now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I have Ender Lilies on the brain because I just finished that game this afternoon. And so, like, Cave Story starts off with an amnesiac. Uh, just had it on the tip of my tongue. Hollow Knight starts with someone who who was who has forgotten most of themselves. Um, we'll be talking more about that game. And you know, before we started airing, I mentioned again because I know Ronnie wants to play Ender Lilies, so I'm not going to dive too heavily into the story for spoilers. But uh, Ender Lilies, great, great game, great Metroidvania. It is uh, the only minor mark I have against it is that if you've played Hollow Knight a lot of the story is going to feel very similar. But because I enjoyed Hollow Knight, my brain was just like, oh, more Hollow Knight. You know, say, you don't have to worry about spoiling it for me. I already know you fight the Hollow Lily at the end and then you go in and fight the Radiance after you defeat it. That's what happens, right? Uh, <laughs> As I said, <laughs> if you've played Hollow Knight, you're going to recognize a lot of the story <laughs> if you play Ender Lilies. But again, Silk Song isn't out yet, so more Hollow Knight-ish. <laughs> Hotel Mario, quality Metroidvania. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I mean, going off of what you just said there, like to me, Hollow Knight is not just one of my favorite games of all time. I feel like to this point, it's the pinnacle of the genre. 
I want games to surpass it, but at this point, I think it's the best Metroidvania I've ever played. Interesting. Now, you and I, Ron, have you played Hollow Knight? <laughs> I've played it. I've not beaten it, but I've gotten pretty far into it. Okay. Before we, we at the risk of this running away into becoming an all Hollow Knight I, discussion. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I'm if in general for the games we're talking about, I'm trying to stay general when it comes to anything that could be spoilers. So talking about mechanics or the basic premise or things like that are fine. I'm trying not to dive too deep on any of them because, for the most part, almost all the games I talk I'm going to be talking about here, I don't want like they're they're best played. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so then, in general, if you can, you just said you think Hollow Knight is right now sort of the pinnacle. Now we both I mean, love, we, we both love Hollow Knight, so I'm curious as to as to why you think why you why you think uh, Hollow Knight is I, is, is you, you heaping that much praise on it. I mean, it when you really nail it right down to it, I think like I could talk about the mechanics, the charms, the different things, but I think what it nailed, which is the most important thing for Metroidvania is the exploration. The map is so detailed and interconnected and thoughtful mm. that you there's, there's different wet methods to go through to get to all different areas. There's shit that when I watched as somebody speed run this game, they did shit I didn't know you could do and I have every and I've had every ability in the game. You've you've 100 percent of the game. I've 100 percent of the game. Absolutely I have. Um, and that was not an easy fight. <laughs> yeah. That was not an easy feat. Yeah, I am not a completionist, but of the diff of all of the different genres of video games out there, the ones I the ones that I want to beat as much as I can are Metroidvanias because I get so hooked by the exploration. Absolutely. That, and that's, that's it. That's that, the yeah, that I want I want to a hundred percent the game. And I will usually hit like a point where either I've hit like, oh, if you wanna like like extra stuff, like post-game stuff, like if you want to like after you've beaten the main game, if you want to do like the boss rushes to to get to that hundred percent. That's usually the point where I'll be like, you know what, now I'm good. But Hollow Knight is one of those games where you think you found everything and you're 60% of the way through the game. And you keep hitting that point where you think you found everything and you keep being wrong. And every time is more, more wonderful things are waiting for you than the last until you finally finish the game. And when you finish the game, that's when you get your percent that tells you how far to get through. The only game I completed is Pong. I mean, that's how I was for a long time. <laughs> I, I actually had to make a rule that I couldn't buy a video game until I completed a different one to get myself into the habit of completing video games. Um, but back back to what I was saying. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. You were saying at the end. You were saying at the end of your completion of Hollow Knight, you thought you got like seventy five percent of the yeah. map. Yeah. At the at the end of the game. That's when you unlock the percentage that shows how much of the game you've completed. Right. And that's how, when you realize how little you've actually seen usually your first time through that game. I... I got I, I to spring off of the exploration aspect so you guys can finish up your, your discussion yeah. on the on the exploration. 
It's like Hollow Knight gives you that percentage after the fact, whereas a game like Ori will keep a running tally yeah. of, will, of of the percentage you've explored. I feel like it's Hollow Knight wants you to organically explore the world until you complete it. And then once you've beaten the game, that's when it gives you that so you can go, oh, if you want to find everything, this is how much more you need to find. Yes. And I feel like that's very that's a very deliberate choice. Yep. It's deliberate because they don't want you to feel like you have to get all these items to beat the game because they want you to beat the game with whatever you find along the way. It's a design, it's a, it's a deliberate design choice. It absolutely is, and it's a good, I, I think that is a good design choice. You want to know what is another good design choice for Metroidvanias? Put in maps. Every <laughs> Metroidvania that I've, that I've disliked or had issues completing are every single one of them. It might not be their only flaw, but one of their flaws is they don't have a fucking map. Yeah, why I had issues. Yeah. Why I had issues with the original Metroid. Everything looks the same, and you have no map. And yes, you can draw a map, but that is a pain in the ass when you're playing the game. I understand some people love it. I'm a tabletop gamer. I've been playing D and D since I was eight years old. Yes, really. Um, so I know about drawing maps, but I don't like to have to draw maps while I'm playing video games. And. It doesn't help that everything looks the fucking same in the original Metroid. Yeah, I mean that's a specific that's a specific aesthetic, but yeah, like it's it doesn't help either that not only does everything look the same, but you still kill and kill everything on screen and still have enemies or hazards show up mid mid drawing. Yep. See, it's hard to do map drawing mid exploration when you still have things coming at you, even after you killed everything. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of Metroidvanias, like uh, Hollow Knight, but it's not the only one at all, um, have certain enemies that don't respawn until you save the game. So you can go through and go, oh, I've already been here. I killed everything. That, uh, I don't think all of them need to have that, but if you're not going to have a map, have game cues like that that make it easier to tell where you come from when where you've been. Yes, like, that is... Or just have a map. Or, uh, I have mean, you thought about having a map? I don't oh. know. I don't know, Have either of you played the most recent Metroid? Uh, I have, but I, have I haven't not. beaten it. I have not. Okay, well, the thing that they added, which is um, really great, is not just the map, or a mini-map, or what have you, but they allow you to ping and customize the map so you can be like, oh, there's a thing here, or, or hey, there's yeah. a boss door here, or um, hey, here's a locked door that I don't have a, a, a power-up for. I, um, I was going to say, I'm complaining about the first two Metroids for not having it. Metroid has done pretty well with their maps in recent times. Yeah. Yes. Like, since, since Prime, roughly, I would say, they've been pretty good with the maps. They, um, they introduced the map in Super Metroid, but it, it was still pretty rudimentary at the time, which was fine. Like, you have to start somewhere. Um, but yeah, like, the Metroid Prime games, which aren't Metroidvanias, or at least not traditional ones, um, but they definitely did the stuff with the maps. And then when you get to stuff like Zero Mission, like, 
maps perfect. Like, no no issues there. Yeah. And kind of spring off the back of the map side, a thing that's kind of, in my opinion, is equally integral to a Metroidvania is your movement. How you move in the map, how you inter interact with the map, how you dodge enemies or go through doors or just the general animations and movement of your of your of your character i mean right alongside of what we talked what we mentioned earlier um lock and key design a lot of the a lot of the keys in metroid game in metroid games and metroidvania games are your new are movement options that you unlock as you progress through the game it's not even just movement options it's just how the character sometimes animates and moves where you where you feel like you're getting somewhere even though like like You feel slow, and you're not going anywhere in Metroid because of how the maps are designed and how Samus is animated in the original mm -hmm. Metroid. Conversely, you then go to Super Metroid, and A, the addition of a sprint button is nice. Mm. It, was a, it, was a nice it was a simple upgrade. But even then, like just how Samus is animated and how she moves around in the in the map... You know, like interact with things like you get a, a larger sense of like oh I can explore more I can move further than I could with the original Metroid or even Sam's Returns and then kind of spring off the idea as you get more power ups and you get more abilities you start finding out new ways to move or different things where it's like speed booster jump double jump high jump space and jump I mean even when you're getting into stuff like Super Metroid, you have the weirder things like uh, the Morph Ball. That's a movement yeah. option. The Sticky Ball. That's a movement option. Uh, even yeah, stuff bombs. like the Shine Spark. Bombs. Just like straight yes. up bombs are a movement option too. Which that, I mean, yes, they absolutely are. In any other game, it wouldn't be. But in Metroid, bombs are a legitimate movement option. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that's kind of a thing you kind of see carry over with the rest of the genre is... What movement options do you have available to you that are not, that are not just jump, walk, and, and sprint? Like, because uh, I mean, like, but, uh, mentioning mentioning from from Hollow Knight because it has the very it has a lot of the basic ones. You got you got the double jump, you have the wall jump, you have the dash. It has uh, a version a a completely uh, horizontal version of the shine spark. Um, and. Uh, what am I missing, Brian? I'm missing a movement option in Hollow Knight. Um, was there a, was there a, a wall cling? Uh, the well, that, that's just a wall jump. That wall, wall, wall jump. jump. Okay. Um, yes. And have a, and have a great night, Schlifty. Thank you so much for stopping by. Good to see you. Glad to have you. Um, I think I'm missing one. I know you get, there's the upgrade to the dash that lets you dash through things, which include attacks and pieces of the terrain. Does Ori have like a grappling hook or a sticky hand thing? Ori does. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, uh, let's see. Did, 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 did. Ori also Ori also had. Uh, crap. Like why am I missing gliding, Ori? Like I only thing. played Ori like six months ago. I should remember all this. Like a gliding option or a like space jump option or. Ori does. Well, I mean, are we talking Ori or Hollow Knight? I think we're just kind of talking movement options in general. You see, like, uh, like, like Ori gets a feather to glide with, but yes. I'm I'm looking at the uh, 
I'm looking at the abilities list for a Hollow Knight. Um, mm-hmm. Like you've got you've got the Dream Nail, you've got the yeah. you've got the the Monarch Wings, you get the the Shade Cloak. Yeah. Um, the Mantis Claw. That was the wall cling and jump off the. Uh, yep, that's the wall jump. Yep. Um, the Crystal Heart is the is the charge. It's, yep, that's that, that's what I was saying. Uh, a horizontal shine spark is what I called it. Yep. Um. There's a, and, a and, there's an ability yeah. which um gives him protection from acid in Hollow Knight. That's the one I'm forgetting. I, Isma's tear. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm forgetting is protecting yourself from acid, so you can go through all that stuff. Um, the speaking of speaking of Ori though, one that I thought was genius in Ori was the bash ability. Yes, which lets you, you know, uh, grab onto a thing and basically aim yourself off of it and throw yourself in that direction. Yeah, it freezes time for a couple of seconds where you can, uh, where you can yeah. do that and propel and yourself forward. Yep. I don't know if that's the first game that showed up because. I've I have not played a Metroidvania that has that ability, and I hope that that gets taken into other things because that is just that was such a genius mechanic uh, that created some really fun new new puzzles and new uh, ways of thinking about a level different than you would get in a in a Metroidvania, and that's one of the best things about playing different Metroidvanias is so there's these skills. That most Metroidvanias have, they have double jump, they'll have a dash, uh, they'll have a wall jump, but then they'll have a couple that are unique to that specific game, and that's what makes you have to think about the exploration differently. Yep. And that, I think, is the, the best thing in a Metroidvania is when it has to make you think different. Like, there was one that I'm, I am I had forgotten about because I, I played it quite a while ago um called sundered yes which uses the mechanics of either absorbing the evil spirits or rejecting them and how that affects the play of the game because it, it affects the abilities as well um uh-huh. Because you know, by absorbing these evil powers, it gain you you gain various movement abilities. Whereas if you choose to remain pure, you're making it a little harder on yourself. But there are there are but there are also specific abilities that you unlock by staying pure as well. So it, it kind of it kind of balances out. Uh, but, but it's another like, game another game that has kind of a similar thing of how it, it changes the gameplay throughout is. Uh, this one's not even out yet, is Gigasword, which is a Kickstarter I backed, which is a Metroidvania game, um, where you get this giant sword as a human. The sword belonged to this giant thing that died, so it was a regular sword to them. For you, you can barely walk around with it, but you can kill shit, or you can take the sword, stab it into the ground, and leave it there, and now you're mobile. So you have two completely different play styles, and the game forces you to go back and forth between, okay, you have a weapon, you can fight things, but you can't 
you're, you're not as agile, you can't do a lot of stuff, or you have to put it down, but now you have no weapon, and you have to be able to, to go through and platform through these things without a weapon, a way to fight. Hmm. That's an interesting mechanic. It's like, well, how do you adapt with that? And that's interesting. Yeah, I, when it, when it comes out, you will hear me talking to you about it, Brian. I'm I, sure you I, will. I think you'll, I think it's a game you'll, You'll enjoy. Hopefully, it's a good one. Oh, yes. That is, that is the risk with Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I I think I've only been burned once by a video game Kickstarter. All right. Uh, part part of that is because I'm very selective. Yes. But uh, basically, everyone that I've been part of has been a has been a big success. Hashtag Shovel Knight and Hollow Knight. <laughs> Mm. Undertale, though I didn't, I didn't participate in the back Kickstarter for Undertale. I wish I had. I didn't know about it at the time. So another Metroidvania that I've played recently, you know, you were talking about games that are Metroidvanias and but but deviate a little bit from the mm -hmm. from the standard. Um, I'm gonna bring up Dead Cells, which is Dead Cells. I'll say Dead Cells, roguelike, but also Metroidvania. Yes, Be because unlike uh, unlike a, a standard Metroidvania where it's it's just one big exploration, like Dead Cells is, is a roguelike, which means when you die, you start back at the beginning. <laughs> now, it I actually I own Dead Cells. I haven't gotten around to playing. It was actually one of my Christmas presents this year. Um, I asked for from my mother-in-law, but. Uh, so, is Dead Cells a rogue-like or rogue-lite? Does it have pro any progression that, uh, character progression that persists across yes. different ones? Or is, okay, yes, so it is rogue-lite. Yeah, yeah, you, you will, there are, there is some, like, permanent item progression or permanent yes. weapon progression. Yep. Or Good. permanent stat progression. So. I, I am very, I am on board with rogue-lite, but I am not a fan of losing everything every time I die. I don't like traditional roguelikes. Now this is a this one is, letter difference makes a big difference. Yeah, ro this is uh, Dead Cells is a rogue light, and Good. it's it's very much also. I mean, it's considered a Metroidvania because you know, in in your path to the end, there's a lot of 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 ways you can go. It's it's never the same. You know, it's never the same two runs running because levels in that game, like Sundered, and this is where where some of the the indie devs have have taken the genre and have made it their own, randomly generated rooms. Yeah. And that that's straight out of Rogue. Yeah, and then and Sundered does this, Dead Cells does this, where. It's like, yeah, the, like you, you get to a specific area of the map and it looks generally familiar, but the layout is is different. So it's it's always it's always keeping you guessing in that regard, um, which depending on how you typically like to play your games, that could either be frustrating or a welcome change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we would be remiss not to mention the two spiritual successor games to the Metroid and Castlevanias, where we have Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, 
the return to form from Kogi Garashi, but then the uh, indie uh, game that is kind of a spiritual successor for Metroid, obviously not by the same creator, but definitely in feel, uh, Axiom Verge. Yes. Yeah, Axiom Verge definitely leads more into like the sci-fi horror stuff a lot more than the original Metroids. Absolutely. Do. Absolutely. I got to, I haven't, I haven't beaten Axiom Verge. I got to play it at PAX a few years ago when it, when the, when it was new and, and shiny and the developer was just like, please play this game. Um, I feel like Axiom Verge is the kind of horror they wanted to do with the original Metroid and didn't have the just they didn't have the capabilities at the time. Yeah, they didn't have, they didn't have the freaking memory yeah. capacity to now, have blood red walls and yeah. and but body parts over the place. Later Metroids definitely don't lean into the horror as much, but just hearing them talk about what they wanted to do with the original Metroid, I feel like Axiom Verge is very much what they were trying to do and just they they couldn't. Yeah, for those unaware, the original Metroid is meant to be a lot more like alien aliens, like, like. Uh, oh yeah, that was his, its direct what's, what's the, inspiration. What's the, what's the art? Yeah, but what's the artist's name? I'm forgetting the. Oh, oh, you're ta you're talking about um. Geiger. Yes, H.R. Geiger. H.R. Geiger, like it was meant to be a very much H.R. Geiger inspired, like world setting, and you're playing a space a space marine. This is like trying to like fight her way out, fight their way out off the planet, basically. Yeah, and they not that they entirely lost it, but they definitely didn't lean as heavily into the horror as they progressed. But I, I like I said, I think Axiom Verge very much captures what they were trying to do in the first Metroid. Yeah, yeah, like the the later Metroids is definitely leans more into the sci-fi, like exotic locations and sci-fi action and, rather than sci-fi action rather than sci-fi horror. Um, it does have some mo more horror elements in Dread, although that's more so the the concept of horror in the sense of um, like a like a Terminator horror. I guess the best yeah. way to describe it: this thing is gonna this thing is not gonna stop chasing you as long as you're within your box. Yeah, the Determinator. It it yeah. will just keep tracking you down no matter what you do. It might go slow. But it's always there, right behind you when you least expect it. Yeah, as long as you're within the the the, the patrol zone, basically. So just just like the concept of SAX and fusion, they just at that point they just didn't have have it down as well as they get later in Dread. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but do you have do you have something to say about Axiom Dread, Brian? Before we move on to no no uh, bloodstains. No, it's just like when I played, when I demoed Axiom Verge and I'm just, I'm looking at when it came out, it was 2015 and I was just like, oh my God, I remember demoing this game before, before it came out <laughs> and just the evidence of how much this developer, Thomas, ha uh, Thomas Happ, who not only made, he developed it, he published it, he composed it. Um, I'll say it was, it was like him and like two other people basically did like 95% of the work, right? Or was it literally just yeah. all him? Um, I, thought, I thought it was him and like a couple other people did some QAing for it and that was it. 
He is the sole developer, artist, and musician of the game, and he began to work on it in 2010 as a side project. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was just him. Okay. It was it was just I'm... him, and just when I demoed this game, like the love letter to Metroid was it was so was so there and so obvious and so pure, and you know, as as Ronnie said, like now. Now you have developers who are making these games that look and that have the look and the feel of NES games, but are way above and beyond the capabilities of the NES, but still retaining that feel. Yeah. And it's amazing. I know they're not Metrovanias, but Shovel Knight and Mina the Hollower, both from Yacht Club, Club yep. Games. I mean, holy shit, those are right out of the NES. And if they were on the NES, they would be some of the best games on the system. But, like, just showing a natural progression for what if we kept doing these kinds of games as hardware continue getting better? Like, what if we had an extra couple years of NES that didn't actually happen? 1985, like, that's what te like. 1985 technology versus 2015 technology. Yeah. Exactly. But still taking the 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 style and the the game development ethos of that era and just taking it a little farther. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but Axiom Verge is not the only one we had to talk about here for spiritual successors. We also have Bloodstained, proving that we want more Castlevania Konami. Stop making pachinko machines. Oh, uh, I, I was waiting for the Konami pot shot. <laughs> I was gonna say, don't don't worry, they're coming. But like <laughs> the, the problem I have with Bloodstained is a thing I brought up earlier. The movement in the game feels a little clunky, and I feel like the movement in Bloodstained is not as smooth as it could be because of the game engine they chose to make the game in. I thought, I, I thought that was an Unreal. I thought they used Unreal Engine for that. I don't think it was Unreal. Oh, I thought it was Unity. Let's pull up. Let's go to Lord of Wikipedia. Let's take. Well, I mean, once again, Hollow like Knight. Hollow Knight is Unity. Yeah, but so it's like, not the, like the, you can't make a good one. Yeah, but they, Unreal they're, Engine they're, 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 Yeah, their thing was like some weird 3D modeling for Bloodstain, though. They did some like weird 3D modeling versus like a deliberately tube. 2D art style. Yeah. And it took me a while to get you... Like, let's put it this way. I, I played it. I personally didn't have any issues with the movement, but I'm not saying that couldn't be. It's been a while since I played it. I don't recall that. But I will say, I definitely was put off by the 3D aesthetic at first. It grew on me over the course of the game. It's just not what I expect out of a Metroidvania. Yeah, the art style was definitely a choice. I don't necessarily think it was bad or good. I think it was meh, personally. I, I think they went with 3D modeling on the guys that would be easier to animate and rig and do, like, backdrops and scenery and things like that. Confirming it was Unreal Engine 4. Okay, it was Unreal Engine 4. Okay, thank you. Um, the problem, though, is, as we have seen... Okay, you can have a 3D model and animate it and rig it all you want. Now you gotta lock it on a 2D plane. 
and have the camera lock on a 2D plane and have it move and operate and run on a 2D plane. That's a pretty hard thing to do. And, like, to kind of, like, give credit where credit is due, like, we've seen this done before in the past with 3D engines in different genres. The biggest one I can think of is Guilty Gear XR and Guilty Gear Strive, where it is Unreal Engine. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say Mortal Mortal Kombat but, ten and eleven as well. Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat nine ten eleven also do it too, um, but what the but what those games go for for Mortal Kombat for the Mortal Kombat series, which is more of a hyper realism sort of like model where it makes sense to have that. You have a deliberately this an, like an anime style, which like this looks like this should be a two D animated game. But it's, they are three D. They are three D models. Like everything in that game is a three D model. It's just locked on a two D plane. Arc System and, Works is a master of doing yeah. that. And Arc System Works has spent like the team red, the, the team that did the development work on Guilty Gear XR series mm -hmm. and Guilty Gear Strive, did a lot of work on the rigging and the animation to make those games, those characters, play like a two D sprite. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I definitely could see them improving a lot of that stuff um, in blood in Bloodstain, but mechanically, like I love the I love the concept of getting getting the souls and imbuing them. Uh, I I didn't end up having an issue with the movement. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was not the perfect game for me, but like it was a very solid Metroidvania, and I definitely am interested in seeing what that team does going forward. I think the biggest thing that team needs is basically just more experience and a bigger budget. Mm -hmm. Like this was a this was a Kickstarter back game from the creator of like the Castlevania series, who left Konami after Konami decided that they're not making video games anymore. And they said, "Fuck you, we're gonna make money off off of Japan's pachinko machines." What are you talking about? They still make Metal Gear Solid games occasionally. Yeah, they 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 hit the Metal Gear Solid slot machine when they're running low on, on the pachinko money. But <laughs> but I digress. The creator is still there. He still has that. He still has the the directing chops. I just think they need to get some more like basically experience with whatever engine they they want to use. I was very happy when Bloodstain came out the way it did because. After Kenji and Afune and Mighty Number no. Nine, like we needed, we needed a success. Yeah, it, it's a, success. It, it, like again, this is just my experience. I felt like the movement in the game was a little clunky compared to some of the more smoother movement options you had, even with um, like Hollow Knight, Axiom Verge, and whatnot. Have you played Symphony of the Night? How do you feel about that? Because I feel like it. It was pretty similar to Symphony of the Night's movement. I'm wondering if the, it's just that style. The difference in movements between Symphony of the Night and Bloodstained, like those two specifically, is with Bloodstained, it is a deliberate 2D art style, a deliberate 2D choice. You're, you're talking about 2D sprites. Yeah. So you have limited frame rates or you, you have specific animation you have to go through in the movement of stuff. Mm-hmm. With Bloodstained, because it's a 3D model rigging, and it's not trying to mask the fact that it's a, it's a 3D model, 
mm-hmm. you have these what can appear to be weird or or, or or jerky movements when you are jumping around on the stage. Okay. Um, now, they may have gone back and polished this up since I stopped playing. I believe I beat Bloodstained like within a week after it first came out. I'd say I played the worst version of Bloodstained. I played it on the Switch. Ooh, I right after PC. it came out. So yeah, I played PC. Patches. Yeah, I played PC. So I had okay time with it. Um, again, it's possible they may have polished some of this stuff since then. Mm-hmm. I cannot confirm or deny. I know. I know the game did get some some balance patches and some bug fixes and things like that. And new characters. And new characters because they got back to the point where they had added some DLC characters. They added Zangetsu. Zangetsu. And then uh, they added the Wizard, I think. Yes. Um, but that's not who I was thinking of. They just added a different a character from a different game, a game that I've played, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the character. So one second while I'm Googling it, and you guys can keep talking. I was actually fine with the the main character, the. the sh- the, the not Shanna mm-hmm. or Shanoa, uh, the, the, the girl that's like got demon blood on her and she's yes. got, like, the, got the, got the, got the, got the glass rose tattoo or whatever. Like I was really fine with her as a Miriam, 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 Miriam. Yeah. I'll yeah. sign with Miriam. Um, she, she plays the, she plays the amnesic character pretty well. And then the, the general design of that character, I was okay with too. The, 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 the design of the characters they have in the game are fine. I don't think they're bad or good. I think they fit with that that art style in general, that that theme of what they're going for. I just didn't... So, so something about the movement in that game just felt a little off to me. Um, especially early on. I think there we I'm... go. Aurora. Aurora. The main character of Child of Light. Okay. Just, just got added uh, beginning of this month. Okay. That's what I yeah. couldn't remember. Yeah, I, I think the movement improved as you got more power ups, but I just remember like the very beginning, like the first couple hours, just the movement feeling very like stiff. Okay. Well, yeah. once again, without going, I like not dismissing your concern. I when I go back through, I'll see how I feel. I I didn't recall that when I played, but it's it's been quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I I played Blood uh, Ritual of the Night and. <laughs> the the thing that threw me off the most <laughs> uh was David Hayter. Um because he's the voice of Zangetsu. Uh-huh. And, and when you encounter him, I'm like, Solid Snake, why are you in this game? <laughs> he because can they, play other characters. Because, well, he can. I would like, but David Hayter has such a recognizable voice, and he only uses one voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he is definitely a person that is hired for a specific character. Yes, personality. Like, for lack of a better term. Dave, like, I feel like he fits Zengetsu very well. He, well, he, he fit. He, he, yeah, yeah, because Zengetsu is the lone wolf character who's forced into dealing with other people because he has to. Just like Solid Snake, just like half the other people they hate at the voicing. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, that's just a side comment, like. I encounter him and I was just like record scratch, like, oh hi there. <laughs> what it what did it's you like, think? It's, of it's like it's like it's like it's like, it's like he's he's like H. John Benjamin, only uses one voice. And uh 
Um, no, I I did enjoy Bloodstained Ritual Light. It felt a, it it just because of of the gothic horror aspect. It made me think of Devil May Cry in places. Like the original, oh, I definitely got that yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely some. There's definitely some inspiration of Devil May Cry in there. Which yep. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think no, that's no, no, actually no, no. That's not a bad thing at all. I just I, I I like some of the mechanics. I love some of the uh some of the side stuff. Like the like um like this like this game has a crafting mechanic. Yes, it does. Which again, I I don't usually see in a whole lot of Metroidvanias. Honestly, I think well, I didn't feel this way when I first started it. I think the 3D aesthetic actually is a benefit to set it apart from Castlevania as a as a whole and give itself uh, its own identity. I agree. I, th- I, th- I think the 3D aesthetic can benefit it, and we've seen how a 3D modeled game can be used in a Metroidvania style and how it can be done well because of the success of Metroid Dread. Mm. Like, uh, like just, just a random aside here. The last Metroid game was freaking Federation Force. Do you want the finale <laughs> no, it, game? No, it in... wasn't. That wasn't a Metroid game. Keep that. Keep that name out of your mouth. That's my point. <laughs> That's my point. That the, the last game with the Metroid name in it was Federation Force back in like 2013 or some crap like that. <laughs> like I, and even before that, if you want to go back to the last like Metroid game proper, you're going back to. Is it Metroid Pinball or straight up Metroid Metroid Corruption? Corruption, probably. Mm. Yeah, it's probably Metroid Prime Three Corruption. Back on the Wii, back in freaking two thousand and five or six. Well, one one second there. One second. While you're looking that I up, think, I think there was one after that, but I'm gonna double check. While you're looking at, uh, that up, uh, Ron, do you have uh, an, a light we can shine on your face? We're losing you. We're, you have a lit. Oh back. yeah. You're, you're, I, you're becoming Shadow can, Ron here. I can. <laughs> I can see. Hang on. Give me one minute here. I can try and get, get fill with my lights here. Give me one moment. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, I was going to say, I knew there was one after that. So, before, so first of all, before Dread, we had Samus Returns. That was only a couple that, years. Wasn't that Metroid before. 2? That's oh. the remake of Metroid 2. Before that, we had Other M. Ah, okay. That came... That came out after Corruption. Ah, all right. That's okay. I I, <laughs> I, I see now. Hey, there's Ron's <laughs> face. Uh, it's, that's about as good as I can do. Sorry. That's so. all right. No, no, I can see you now. Uh, mm-hmm. But just... I, you know, I think a ball's about to go. That's why it's... It's but no. Uh, if you, if you see, if you, I think I see it reflecting in the camera. So if it shows, if I suddenly go dark again, it's because the ball went out. <laughs> uh, you know, high production values. This podcast. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, what did your research tell you? Well, my research told me there were there were two games since then. You had uh, Samus Returns, which came which, in two, 2017, which and was, you had other. Which, which was a remake remastering of yeah. Samus Returns. And then you have uh, Other M in 2010. Oh, fucking God. Yeah, sorry. Do you want your last games and your freaking games genre to be Other M? Which is, okay. Okay, hey, okay. Samus Returns was not bad. Okay, Samus Returns wasn't bad. little linear, but not mm-hmm. bad. And honestly, for Other M, the gameplay of Other M was fine. Yeah, it, was it was actually okay. took issue with. 
it was the story and the characterization people took issue with, and I am one of those people. Because <laughs> I can, because uh, like, okay, so just 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 minor ranting here. I can understand why Samus agreed to be like limit her power level with regards to the station they were on, because let's face it, Samus at full power is a walking weapon of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. Like power bombs, vinyl cells are basically miniature thermonuclear are miniature thermonuclear devices. And and Adam being a military general who knows the cap- the full also, capabilities she's of the working- Samus suit. She's working under the military at that point. That is well, she, not a stretch for me. Well, it's, she is a. She's not working under the military at that exact moment. She shows up because she got a, a distress signal from the station, and being about to under, she's like, "Oh, somebody's in trouble. I can make money off of this." <laughs> um, did not realize the station was a military station until she shows up yeah. and Adam and the military people are there. At that point. Adam pulls rank and she just goes along with Adam because of the respect she has that's, for him as well, a person. That, that's what I meant. Like she could either walk away or if she's going to help the military people, she has to follow the guidelines like that. Yeah. To me, that's she's yeah, under and, the military and, at that yeah, point. Yeah. But like she, but that, that is a deliberate choice she made. And I'm actually yeah. okay with that. My problem is like you see really for the first time in Metroid other I am like, I don't know, 30 minutes into the game, roughly or so, like maybe an hour at most. And she freezes up and like, just like stops and like, like has a panic attack. I'm like, lady, you've killed him four times now. Like, I understand childhood trauma is a trauma, but you've shot it multiple times with missiles and bombs and powerful lasers. And you've seen the thing die multiple times. Just because he gets cloned and gets brought back to life isn't your fault. And and, and in my opinion, nothing nothing solves trauma like shooting it in the face until it's dead. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Other M takes place between Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion. So it's not the most current one. So she's only killed him twice at that point. Uh, if you take Metroid Zero Mission as canon, she has killed him twice. Okay, three times, three times. With with okay. with. Okay, hang on. Actually, I'll accept that. Okay, okay, no, 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 no question. Okay, question here. Are we considering Metroid Prime canon? Prime series canon. I keep forgetting about the Prime series being taking place before. Yeah. It's canon. It, if it you is assume, canon. If you assume Metroid Prime then series she's is killed canon, him all. It's so she's killed times. him twice in Zero Mission, again in Prime, again in Prime 2, mm-hmm. again in Prime Corruption, again in, again in Super Metroid. That's six times before we even get to Other M. And at then that point, we, and then, it's not a fear anymore. It's a, it's a job. Yeah, at that, po- at that point, you're pest control. Yeah. <laughs> at that point you're 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 your pest control and you're getting called in to, to deal with the to deal with the flying lizard problem. He's I was gonna say he's fucking William Afton, he always comes back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, okay, so also keep in mind too, okay, other M. Oh sorry, other mm-hmm. other M was this. No, this mm-hmm. is, this one was Super Metroid. This is other M. This is fusion. 
Does Ridley show up in Dread? I I want to say yes. I swear I want to say yes because I just assume so. You're like, is it bad for me to assume he shows up in Dread? The only one, as far as I know, the only ones he didn't show up in was Metroid 2 and its remake. Yeah, and the only reason why he doesn't show up... No, wait, he shows up in the remake! He shows Does up he? in the remake too! Yes, when you go to leave the planet with the baby... Like, Mecha Ridley shows up again suddenly for some dumb reason. And you have to sh laser him. <laughs> like, like, okay, that's ten times. Come on. We're, we're at ten times now assuming Samus returns people, canon. When people hear Metroid, they think of Mother Brain when you think of villains. But I was going to say, Ridley is way more. It's worth, like, oh, yeah. in way more games than Mother Brain. Yeah. Mother Brain's literally in. Zero Mission, mm -hmm. um, Super Metroid. Yeah, that's it. The original, like literally. Yeah, uh, Zero Mission is is uh, original plus plus some extra. Oh, okay. Zero Mission's a remake of the original. Okay. Game. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's 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 a remake of the the original game basically. And it has story in it, so when people talk about the canon of the games, they just talk about Zero Mission because the original Metroid doesn't really add anything. Yeah, the, like, the original Metroid doesn't even reveal the fact that Samus is a girl until, the, until you beat the game in under two hours. Or three hours, or something like that. So, we talked about 3D games a couple times in this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on a little tangent. Oh, let's. <laughs> I'm going to make the entirely justifiable assertion that how convoluted is Metroid... We don't have the time. I mean, we don't have the time, Ryan. Um, just... uh, okay, but... okay. Here, the simplest answer is space bird wizards augment human DNA to create a, a, a super warrior. And they give her a weapon of mass destruction to police, police the galaxy with. They watched, they watched too much early 90s movies and they wanted to create a Terminator. So they created one and named it Samus. Although I'm willing yeah. to believe that Met the whole... The whole story of Metroid is still easier to understand than Kingdom Hearts. But moving on, Ronnie, you want it to... Is, it is. Uh, so, I'm going to make the assertion that the entire Souls-like genre are just 3D Metroidvanias. They have a focus on exploration, mm. non which is non-linear, where you unlock shortcuts between areas that allows you easier access to move across the things. Um, the only thing that it doesn't have are abilities you unlock, but it still uses lock and key gameplay. It's just, it's literal lock and key where you have to get to the other side to unlock things. I will say for the prior Souls games before Elden Ring, they are not Metroidvanias. Okay. For the simple reason that's you, you, there, you, the, for the simple fact that you, generally speaking, don't have enough tools to dodge or evade enemies. There are some cases and some situations where the game just forces you to do do the run back of death to go back mm -hmm. and re reclaim your souls and go and um like fight enemies along the way if you to to, to even get back to where you were. Hollow Knight has that, and we all agree Hollow Knight is a Metroidvania, and it has the exact mechanic of 
dropping all of your, in this case, money, and you have to get, you have to work your way back yeah. to that point with all the enemies the, respawn. The difference, the difference being for Hollow Knight is Hollow Knight allows for movement to allow to dodge a, a large portion of those things. With with the, the the Dark Souls series, there were certain situations where you couldn't dodge, or if you got an errant hit hit on you because you because the hitboxes in that game and in, in those mm. games were were wonky, um, and are still wonky, mind you. Let me finish. Yeah, go ahead. You, you finish. Let me finish. So th those games aren't because the lack of movement options are not. There's not enough movement options available to you. For Elden Ring specifically, I actually am okay with calling it a Metroidvania because you have the goddamn horse. Because the horse provides such a large degree of movement and speed that you can just run past a large portion of the open world, and then when you get to the the quote-unquote dedicated like legacy dungeons, which are your old-style old style Dark Souls games, even then, you still have the other quality of life improvement of the Marika statues, which by and large prevent a large, which are usually placed solely to prevent the 10-minute run back that would lead to an errant to, in, in a lot of those cases. I would argue that what you're saying isn't a defining part of Metroidvanias, it's the defining part of the other genre that it's in. So let, I'm going to use Hollow Knight as an example. Other than the abilities acting as lock and keys, the fact that you have all these movement options to get through enemies, that's about it being a platformer. That's, a, a, that, like, the only the only point to this is that Metroidvanias use lock and key design to keep you from getting to places, uh, to keep you from getting everywhere at once. Those locks and keys can be anything. It doesn't have to be movement abilities. I don't see movement abilities as inherent to Metroidvanias. It's just a very convenient way to do the lock and key design that Metroidvanias need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Metroidvanias use both movement and weapon or spell or... Yeah, it's, like, it's lock and key design regardless, whether yeah. it's movement or it's weapons or it's whatnot. It's yeah. the lock and key design that's the important. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel that with, with Dark Souls, like... While a, while a defining mechanic of a Metroidvania is just gating areas of the world behind items or skills, Dark Souls doesn't... Dark Souls takes a bit of a more passive approach where the, the gating is through enemies. I mean, it, it gates through enemies, but it also gates, such as, as I said, when you finish an area, oftentimes you will find doors that you can unlock that give you shortcuts to previous areas where you had to work through stuff that that's still gated yeah. locking locking of the areas yeah, yeah but a, a lot of time the gating of that that shortcut is because they want you to they basically force you to go through and fight that mm -hmm. fight through those enemies because they oh, want absolutely. You to level, because they want you to level up to try and have a better chance of fighting the boss of that zone so we're we're focusing on the difference here and it's fine that but i will say do you disagree with my assessment of it's a large non-linear game with a major focus on exploration as the key thing. Those are some of the key components of Metroidvania. I say it's not uh, for, for all the ring. I think you're okay with making that claim because of mm. the design of the game being a decidedly open world exploration focused thing mm -hmm. for the other dark souls games. I don't think you can make that similar claim because 
if you get stuck in a certain area in Dark Souls, you're kind of just forced to bash your head up against the wall until the wall eventually breaks. There's, I mean, there's, very, there's very few there's very few options for you to backtrack or go around the wall that you're at. So you have points in the now the original Dark Souls I will agree is the least of this. It is the most I I, I, I Souls fans can tell me if I'm wrong. I've watched through the the whole the whole playthroughs of them. Um, from my understanding, the first one is the is the least is the most linear. Yes, Dark Souls uh, one is the most linear. Now, Dark Souls does, two. Dark Souls 2 and 3 open up some of that. Yeah. It still does have nonlinear segments where you have to get the souls and you can choose which of the four directions. But yes, it is the least. But Dark Souls 2 and 3 have a, like, you have a, you have an, a point where you have to get up to, but then it, it opens up where you can choose different paths on where you want to go. So the it reason does why, have to... yeah, so I, as Salem that has played and beaten all three Dark Souls games and then gotten a fair bit through Elden Ring. The reason why I'm saying that is because you basically just get a hub town in, in, in all the Dark Souls games. Yeah. You get a hub town that you can like call your home base or what have you, and then you go out and explore the world of like one of three one of three paths. And usually those three paths are either difficult, suicidal, or the intended route. And usually more often than not, you go with the intended route. Or the or the difficult one. People that are crazy or speedrun usually do the suicidal route, but that's usually what ends up happening. Either way, though, you still have to do all three of those things eventually. Eventually, but I mean, same thing with many Metroidvanias, where you're choosing which directions you want to go and which which way you route you want to take through them. But like Hollow Knight, you still have to get all three Dreamers before you can finish the game. Yeah. You can choose which direct, which ones you want to go to first, but you still have to get through all of them. Most Metroidvanias have some kind of progression locked by bosses like yeah. that. Like yeah. I said, I, I I can see arguments for why they're not. I'm just arguing on the similarities of these two genres yeah. that are, are a lot more than people think, and that I think a 3D Metroidvania looks like Dark Souls. Like, that is... The closest we have to a 3D Metroidvania, mostly. Wasn't there a 3D Castlevania on N64? Yeah, yeah or... and it was terrible. It was also fully linear. Uh, what about the? Um... I've never played it, yeah. but but what about Darksiders? I haven't played Darksiders, and that is an like there are a couple games that I would list here. One of them being the Metroid Prime games. But I would argue they have flaws in them being Metroidvanias as well. Um, uh, technical note, Ronnie, you're out of focus. I know, and I have no idea how to fix it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my, my alarm went off to take my meds, and I had to take the phone down to remove that, that alarm so it wouldn't disrupt okay. the podcast. And since I did that, uh, this is what I look like now. All right, so you look. Can I have a focus or get uh, gunk on it? Maybe. No, I, I tried cleaning off. It's not gunk right. on it. Okay. It's it is the focus for me taking it down, but I don't know how to fix it. Uh, I, I don't know how to mess with it other than completely disconnecting it from this, and then I, I won't be on the podcast. All right. All right. Um, I can turn the video off if it's distracting. No, it's not. No, it's just I just I just looked over and I'm like, oh, you're slightly fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, so the. <laughs> 
on the topic of dark sides I, I played a little bit of it not enough to be a definitive expert or anything on it i think you could i think it's more appropriate to call dark siders um more like god of war-esque if that makes sense where you have these wide open areas to explore and and go through but there's no multiple options. You usually have to go into a specific area. You can't really backtrack or do or explore other other routes. And I, I and okay, I mean I, I I also see, you know, in doing some little some prep for this episode, I also saw that uh Batman Arkham Asylum g- gets thrown around as as a possible 3D Metroidvania. <laughs> Again, not really, because you you're you're kind of confined to specific areas where they want you to go. Um, Arkham City might make more sense because that that's a bit more of an open world route. Like you have multiple ways to go through that game. Um, Boy, but... I made it worse. <laughs> um, so I I, I think. I, I would personally say the Metroid Prime series is still a Metroidvania because even though there is still like a more linear progression in those games, you still have like options available to you of couple a couple routes to go or a couple bosses you can beat to try and get around stuff. Because I I've I've uh, like when you when you think about 3D. If you're if you're trying to think of 3D games that would fit the Metroidvania thing, you know, you could also make an argument for the 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 classic Resident Evil games. They definitely are lock and key, and you definitely have uh, many of. I think all of them have at least non-linear portions, even if it's not the entire game. Yeah, like. It, it like it, it it has a nice mix. I mean, it's obviously it's it's not classified as a Metroidvania. It's you know survival horror action. Hey, look, is this better? You're in focus. Hey, sure. how about I'm, that? I'm pretty sure I'm in focus right now. You are with 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 one eye. There you go. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna have to deal with it being like this right now. I can't fix it. All right, no worries. Um, uh, just just everybody. Your prescriptions are off. You're going to need to go get your eyes checked. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you there's like as a for for a true 3D Metroidvania, like I I can't really think of any solid examples off the top of my head. I missed what you said. Yeah, Ron, you Ron, you are muted. Shadow of the Colossus? Did you hear, hear, hear that now? Yes, that, that I heard. Shadow of the Colossus. Okay. Um, I... Mm, mm. Like, that, that's the only thing that I can think of that might be a more true-to-style Metroidvania. I, I would not disagree at all. Shadow of the Colossus, I think, fits. So, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, all, I, that's all I've got on, on the 3D yeah. front. 
Yeah, that, that, I mean, I, I think part of the reason why you don't see or hear too many 3D games is, or, uh, in that style is because with the extra, with the introduction of, of the third dimension uh, in terms of movement, that suddenly leads to... It's, it, it quickly jumps from Metroidvania to open world. Mm -hmm. mm. Because... The introduction of the Z-axis, for lack of a better term, means that you like you basically just have more areas to move around in. Also, by and large, because these game because Metroidvania games have a have a degree of jumping involved in a lot of them or vertical movement involved, jumping on Z-axis then means you're sometimes bypassing intended blockades, or in some cases, um like jumping around and like jumping around like large swaths of the map and not even going to certain areas. Mm. On no, a, I've, uh, yes. Like on a programming front, I could see where, where, and, and you know, and a developing front, I could see where that could get, get tricky. Yeah. And like, sure. There's, there's going to be like locking key things along the way that may block you off because of the simplest answer would be because of rendering limitations that to render the to render that particular area, they need to have it be a locking key to basically load you off the map and then load you into the into into a into a new box. I I would say that Metroidvanias and open world games both fulfill the same desire in gaming of exploration, just in different ways. Mm. Yeah. So they're they're they are if they may not be exactly the same, but they are at least. You know, brother and sister. They're they're at least sibling genres because yeah. they both are trying to fulfill the same thing, just in slightly different ways because of the the yeah. the limitations of of two D or three D. Metroidvanias have you explore from smaller box to bigger box to bigger box to bigger box along the way, and then going and then back and forth between the two. Open worlds, generally speaking, go from gigantic box into that same doll smaller, 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 smaller. Yes, I absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. So basically, they're they're doing the same thing just in reverse. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, do we want to move on from 3D, Brian? I mean, I'm I'm good with that. <laughs> so I have one I wanted to bring up. So we mentioned that while there are other genres, we mentioned Dead Cells. Um, that most. Uh, Metroidvanias are platformers. So I wanted to bring up another example of a Metroidvania that is not a platformer. Uh, very much because you don't actually stand on anything. And that game is Carrion. Have Ooh. either of you two heard of Carrion? <laughs> I have not. So I, it's Car on my wish list. I want to yeah. play it. So I finished Carrion very recently, last month and a half, month and a half ago. Uh, so Carrion... So Metroid took off of the Alien franchise. Carrion wanted to take off of a very different uh, horror movie, and Carrion is literally John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> yeah. You play as The Thing, basically, escaping from an Arctic base, and that that's the premise. You were held in, there's an accident, you break free, and you have to find a way to, to escape, and you can assimilate other... Uh, animals and DNA to gain other abilities. And that's I mean, how you get was, the abilities in the game. 
I remember seeing this. This is like a basically you're, you're like a, some you're basically like a, a giant slime creature. And you got sticky your way across the walls and eat, yep. and eat people along the way to get past doors. And you basically it, eventually, float, eventually, yeah, because your tentacles grab onto things and that's how you move around. Yeah, but and then you're, the goal of the game is basically to get out and cause you on the world because you're a space horror. Exactly. Um, I have a lot of positive things to say about the game, so I'll start off with my negatives. Um. Uh, it does not have a map. That was a huge issue because it, much like Metroid, has very similar looking areas that some of them look almost identical and it makes it very difficult to uh, grok exactly where you are when you're playing the game. Uh, the other issue, which becomes less important later on, is the mechanic where you your your most basic attack is you have a tentacle that you can go out grab something and then bring it in to eat or just fling it around to hit things and and break it it's very awkward to control you're aiming it with the right stick but it's not just aiming how far it goes out is also how far you move the stick so you kind of have to gauge how far you think the thing is away from you or you'll overshoot it and that's irritating. But every ability you get afterwards kind of replaces that, uh, where you don't really need to use that ability anymore, so that is a much smaller concern. Uh, but outside of that, like, the game looks great, sounds great, it has a, it has a freaking amazing premise, and I really hope they do a carry-in too, because uh, I think... With a little bit more polish, you they really have something there. Like, I, I do want to play this game. Like, I've heard, I've, I've seen it, and, like, I think one of the criticisms was that it was, it was a short game, but, you know, that's a whole different argument. Um, Some games are better short. Yes, absolutely. I'm not I, I, I had to make that argument on Facebook the other day. That you want to know what? I would rather have a really, really tight 10-hour game than a 20-hour game or a 30-hour game that drags. Absolutely. Um... Generally speaking, a, a polished game or a well-written and well-structured game will always feel better than a loser mm -hmm. story game, in my opinion. And I mean, there are there are games that are, you know, 30 or 40 hours that still like the pacing is great and they still feel tight. But I with a lot of games, you can tell where it's OK. We we needed to pad this out. It I guess it's some games overstay their welcome. And the whole point of game development is to find out and finish the game before you hit that point. Yeah, like. Like Ori, like the original Ori and the, and the Blind Forest, which is, you know, a six to eight hour game, but it's a solid. It is, mm -hmm. it is solid and polished from start I to mean, finish. Here's, it's, here's the example. And this is the example I used when I was arguing with the guy about this. Chrono Trigger is widely regarded as one of the best RPGs of all time. It is not a long game. Especially no, no, for that genre. Like, you can finish Chrono Trigger in 10 hours. You can finish Chrono Trigger faster than that if you know what you're doing. Yes. 
Nishi Kid. Uh, let's see. Winged41 is asking, how about the Prince of Persia game that came out on Game Boy Advance back in the day? I have no idea what game he's talking about, so... I know the game he's talking about. I have not played it yet. I It is one of those games that I had recommended me years ago. I have a ROM of it sitting on my computer, and I just have not gotten around to playing it yet. So there you go. That that that, that is your that is your 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 answer there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have the, the answer is can. if you want to talk about the Prince of Persia game, you need to jump on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that is the answer. Um, so something that something that Metroidvania games also have in common, um, at least particularly in the ones that I have played, are the sidekick characters. Um, like, Ori has one with, with the, with the, uh, the forest spirit. I forget, I forget its name. It begins with an mm. S. Um, um, then there's another, then, uh, Ender Lilies, you have a whole host of them in, there's another one that I played years ago called Dust and Elysian Tale. Yep. Which, that was on my list. Which has the the sentient gotcha. sword. Uh, you don't have one in Hollow Knight unless you count Zote. No, you don't have one in Hollow Knight. I don't. I do not count Zote. Um, <laughs> Ca Castlevania Symphony of the Night doesn't ish. So in Symphony of the Night, you can unlock familiars, and you can have them like accompany you by turning them on or off. But they have no, like, they're not, like, story characters. So I don't, I don't think that counts, or at least I wouldn't count that. Well, it's, it's, well, it's interesting, like, in the case, well, for the games, for the Metroidvanias in which your character is, has no memory of what happens, you need something to tell the audience the story. You mean, like, Hollow Knight? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just saying, you're, you're using it as the thing, and I'm like, well, Hollow Knight has a character that's amnesiac. You brought that up earlier. Yes. But it does not have that. But then again, Hollow Knight kind of revels in you not knowing what the fuck is going on. And also, Hollow Knight has, a, like, you f like, you find NPCs which flesh out the world. Yeah. Which, is not, something, which is not something you find... In in other Metroidvanias, uh, some. I, I was about to say one thing. I actually think now this is not universal. There are a lot of Metroidvanias we can even that don't have this. But one thing that I think uh, Metroidvanias, especially early ones, had was they were more story focused than most two D two D games, especially two D platformers. Mm, yeah, I mean. Journey and narrative go hand in hand with a Metroidvania. Yeah, it's 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 about exploration, but it's not just about the mechanics of exploration of how you get from here to here. It's exploration of a living world, or in the case of several of them, a dead a world. dead world. Yeah, but uh, it's this exploration of this world and the characters that were in it and what happened to them or what is happening to them that I think is a key component of making a Metroidvania the world feels lived in 
And that's a lot of what I think it is. No, that's 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 an amazing point. Like and it, it again just it appeals to our sense like if if this is a genre you enjoy playing, it's like yes, you're exploring, but also it it scratches the itch to want to know why. Why is this world as it is? You know, whether I mean, living or that, dead. I think every game we've listed has that that moment of well wait what's what is this whether it's metroid where you've landed on an alien planet what what do you have ahead of you what is all this weird stuff or it's hollow knight where you're wandering through the ruins of a dying civilization what what led to this um like every one of them these they have these settings that make you question what what happened here why is it like this what's going on um and it and you answer these through your exploration and little lo and, and 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 occasional love notes you find i mean yeah that's that's that is a that is a thing well and with you know it's it comes down to the developer wanting to you know how do they want to tell the story do they want to tell it through through NP through like sidekick characters, do they want to share with like a few a handful of surviving NPCs? Do they leave notes lying all over the place? I mean, objectively, the best way to tell a story like that is through cornifer. You want to have a cornifer in every one of your games. <laughs> yes, I will happily buy your maps, all of them. You have maps for the places I haven't gone yet. I'd like those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's parts of that where you have to do his job for him. Oh, yeah, I mean the the one of the best parts of Hollow Knight um is just when you find him hiding behind a bush in Deep Nest and the map is literally like one room that you're in and you have to fill the rest of it out yourself. Yep. He's like, "I'm not going in there, so you can buy a blank piece of paper from me." And it's just the best. It does. It's like little little moments like that, which like flip the script a little bit. It's like, uh, oh, oh, you want you want the map? Um, mm, mm, no, mm, sorry. Mm -hmm. no. That's a that that's a problem. I'm I'm leaving this place because this place seems a lot like hell. So if <laughs> you want to go through, if you could sell me a map afterwards, I would appreciate it. <laughs> Hang on a minute. And then we have the one I'm, I just started. Like, I finished Ender Lilies today, and I started Astalon Tears of the Earth, which has a, a, a mechanic of, it's a Metroidvania, but you have to, you control three characters, and you have to swap between them. So you only play as one at, at, at a given moment. Um, I love games that do that kind of shit. That is... That is right up my alley. Like, the last game that I played which did something like that that I can just immediately recall is a platforming series called Trine. Um, yep. So this is this is not a mechanic I see very often in a Metroidvania where, like, the way the world is designed requires the unique abilities of a party to advance. So, 
so winged 41 just just to answer your thing um just because it is yeah just because it's a castlevania doesn't necessarily mean it's a metroidvania because like the classic castlevanias on the nes weren't and same thing with n64 um lords of shadow is definitely closer i would have to replay them to uh figure out if if they really do fit that definition or if we kind of discount them the way we did earlier with the uh with my dark souls comparison um but it's definitely a lot closer to a 3d metroidvania than than a lot of other games i i could see that back to you game, brian I, I haven't i haven't played either of the lord of shadow games so i, I couldn't tell you one way or the other sorry i say i have but i didn't play them since they came out so i i have very very hazy memories of them but no, but yeah, just back to Astalon, uh, Tears of the Earth. Just like, yes. I'm just, I'm I'm very early in the game. I'm like an hour into the game, but it's like, just very interesting how the the map is set up where, you know, you've got these three party members, but there are some areas where it's like you cannot pass through here because the character you're currently using can't jump that high or doesn't have the ability to break this magic wall. So you have to go back to, you know, your last campfire, your checkpoint, swap character, and then go back to uh, where you were trying to, to get to. Which I just thought was just an interesting mechanic. It's, just... it's definitely a game I need to take a look at. I, it's... You wanna? I, I think I might actually own it. I think I might have got it on a sale at one point. If I don't, it's definitely something that's been on my my radar for quite some time. It's just, you know, there's only so much time for games. Yeah, yeah. I there have like is. seven games right now that came out in the last recent time that I all have just piled up as well. These are things I'm supposed to get to soon. Better get to that. It's called the Eternal Backlog. <laughs> I'm usually pretty good about not having that. Like, I've... The last several years, I've gone through... I've completed more games than I've added. I was going to say, and, it was called the Eternal Backlog for a reason. Mm -hmm. This is... This might be the first year that I... The first year in quite some time that I add more games to the backlog than I remove. Mmm. And I think it's because I'm working on a lot of, uh, working through a lot of longer games. Like, one of the games I'm going to be doing shortly is Elden Ring. That's yeah. About yeah, that's about 150 hours you're not going to see get back. Yep, that's, uh... I mean, I'm not, I, I severely doubt I'm going to be completionisting it, so. I wasn't trying to completion it either, I still spent about 150 hours on it. <laughs> okay! <laughs> uh... Well, uh, keep in mind that like, this is the pro this the 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 uh, blessing and a curse of an open world game. There's so much bullshit to do. So that's the blessing, the curse. There's so much bullshit to do. Yeah. You know, you you got a point. You got a point. <laughs> so uh, I have a couple games I just want to mention in passing to make sure they they get brought up. But uh, for other influential. Uh, indie Metroidvanias that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, you got Owlboy, you got Guacamelee, you got Salt and Sanctuary, uh, you have The Messenger. Like, those are all ones that, 
uh, on some level are important were important to the genre going forward. That just we haven't we haven't brought up, and I don't know if we will, but I want to at least give them a shout out as if any if if you're interested in the genre, those are all quality games to take a look at. One that I keep seeing pop up, uh, it's it's a game that came out almost a decade ago at this point, Rogue Legacy. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have Guacamelee. I haven't uh I haven't played it. I'd say Messenger is very interesting because it starts off as a fairly linear Ninja Gaiden game that opens up into a full Metroidvania when you get to like the one third or halfway point. That's an interesting take. So it is it literally switches genres. Yeah. That's so. Also, uh, there is time travel in the game. And what I find really interesting is they do what I always thought a video game should do. When you do time travel, start in 8-bit when you time travel to the... Or start 16-bit when you time travel to the past, go to 8-bit. When you time travel to the future, go to 32-bit. Like, the art style changes when you go through time. So, Evo Land, but... But not an RPG. <laughs> Basically. Mm. So, but uh, that's definitely, like, that one got all the accolades. Like, it was one of the best indie games of the year. Uh, it, it probably something you might like, Brian. I haven't played it. I might someday, but I was never a fan of the old school Ninja Gaiden games. So, uh, Messenger, just... I... I played and beat it, so it came out four years ago. That's yeah. it came out. I it was on Xbox Game Pass. Might still be on it actually. Um, it's okay. Uh, it definitely leans more into the, the like the old school Ninja Gaiden's than it does the Metroidvania stuff. Um, I had fun with it, but like ten hours at most, I think at most. Like, yeah, I mean, ten that's... hours at most. That's one I can't really argue about being a Metroidvania because that's literally what the developers have said. Yeah, they, they, yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I agree with them. Like, it, it starts with Ninja Gaiden, and about yeah, halfway through, it, it, it turns into Metroidvania. Yeah. So, um, but that's about all I had to bring up. Do you guys have have some other things you want to talk about on it? I also want to briefly mention that Metroid is amazing. You haven't bought it, you should buy it. Like, please. <laughs> Give yeah, let's for like buy, buy buy Metroid Dread. Proves in a tenable this is actually a genre and a game series worth caring about. Yeah, let's let's all give our recommendations, uh, as people probably would expect from earlier. Uh Hollow Knight. You should really play it if you haven't yet. It is an excellent game. It is one of my favorites of favorite games of all time. I it's one of the only games that I come back and replay. I very rarely replay games. I come back to Hollow Knight at least once a year. I know Axiom Verge, we talked about previously. I would also recommend Axiom Verge. Uh, I know there was a second one that came out relatively yeah. recently, too. Uh, yeah, it came out uh, about nine months ago. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, again, that, that's going to be more of your 2D type of, like your, your, I'm sorry, your 8-bit art style. So if you like a lot of the older... Like the older Castlevanias, the older Metroids, like that would be your, that would be a thing. I would say go look, go look at. Um, I think that was 
pretty much it. How about you, Brian? You got a recommendation for the for the listeners? Oh, I mean, I I I, I wish that Moon Studios was not run by two very very shitty shitty people, because I knew that I, I was about I I almost started with. So, Brian, what can you recommend other than Ori? Other than Ori. Because um, Ori in the Blind Forest is one of my all-time favorite games. Um, I will also, I'll recommend Ender Lilies as well. I think that's, Ender Lilies, I think, is, is it's hauntingly beautiful, but I also think it's a good, like, it's a good, if, like, if you're starting out in the genre, it's a good one to get into because it, you know, it doesn't, some Metroidvanias can get a little crazy with the abilities and uh, and skills, and I think Ender Lilies gives you a nice array to play with. Um, so that would that would definitely be my recommendation. That is not Ori in the Blind Forest. I would I would go with Ender Lilies. I just finished it. It's a beautiful game. I'd say it looks gorgeous. I hope that when you get it, get the game, you have a blast with it. I'm, I have no doubt in my mind I'm going to have a blast with it. And you and I will have a nice long conversation when it comes. I think August is the date they're shooting for right now. So it took me 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And I didn't 100% it. So... That was how long it took me to get uh, all of the endings. It was 24 hours. Okay. Not too bad at all. Ender, uh, Ender Lilies is not only on Steam, it is also on Switch. Yep. Probably on a bunch of other things too, but I at least know it's on Switch. Yeah, that's where my copy's coming. Yeah, I know. You, you got the, uh, you're getting the limited run, uh, limited run games version. It is on, yes, it's, it's on everything. Switch, yeah. PS4, uh, Sex Box, Xbox One, PC. Mm -hmm. Did you say PlayStation? It's on PlayStation. PS4. Yep. Yeah. So I that's I I I enjoyed it. It's another thing. Multiple endings with Metroidvanias. Like Hollow Knight's got multiple endings. Ender Lilies has multiple endings. Sundered has multiple endings. I think that when you have an exploration-based game, I think it just lends itself to multiple endings because the more the more you explore, the more endings you get. Oh yeah, that's that's entirely fair. That's I mean, even talk even talking about old school, the the very first Metroid game. Well, the ending is how naked you can get Samus. It still had a different <laughs> ending screen depending on what you did. Yes, I, I, yes, I can see that. Like, I just, like, like, particularly for Hollow Knight, you know, Hollow Knight, you know, it has, like, your, your multiple, you, you have, like, one ending, which is basically, like, okay, yeah, whatever, I'm just gonna leave. And I mean, Sym Symphony of the Night and Bloodstained both have full false, false finishes with a whole section of the game locked behind it. I remember getting when I played Bloodstained, getting the false the, the false ending. I'm like, my first thought was, what the fuck is this shit? And then just and then I'm like, wait a minute, I still have so much. I have a lot more game to go. You you well, you <laughs> never played Castlevania, so you didn't expect it. I, that's yes, that's exactly it. Like when I like Symphony of the Night, that like 
half of the game is locked behind the false ending. Um, so when I got to the end of Bloodstain, it's like, oh yeah, no, this is not the end. Yeah, there's a false ending here. I, I Honestly, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't more locked behind the false ending in Bloodstained. So. But, like, it locked the endgame area, but it was nowhere near as, as much material locked behind it as, say, Symphony. And if I ever play Symphony of the Night, I don't know if it... Because, I, I mean, I still have my... PS2, but if uh, it's, I have to see if it's on the PlayStation Network store on PS3. Ryan, I will tell you right now, you can go through everything else. When you get to the end of the game, it is a guide dang it moment. You have to read how to unlock the the castle because you're nobody, nobody is going to figure it out without that. Okay, if I if I get it, so yeah, but you should, you should, you should play it. Go play it. Go play it because you know, <laughs> I have never, I have never finished a Metroid or a Castlevania game. So you know, maybe I should play one of the games that you know lends itself to the to the title, to the genre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, Winged Forty One, uh, Near certainly has an entire alphabet of endings. <laughs> so, uh, I think I'm good. Do you guys have any other final thoughts? No. Uh, Metroidvanias are good. Go play some. Just do that. <laughs> do the things. It's I, I actually no. I I will bring up one thing though. It's very short. I do love uh, both Metroidvania and Souls like as these modern genres when it felt like there were no new genres and it it they are much more descriptive. So most genres are mechanics based inherently, but both Metroidvania and Souls, like, both are more describing the feel of the game for how they are, such as Metroidvania, it does have a couple different guidelines that all of them have, but it's all in the for the sake of exploration. So, same thing with Souls, like, it's all for the sake of difficulty. Um, I, I think it's wonderful that we still have, we're still creating new genres at this point that resonate with with new with new gamers and new ways of seeing video games. Even if like Metroidvania, they have their roots in games that were created 30 years ago. Just goes to show you that uh it's not dead. <laughs> we we can, we can still make great games using the old styles. Yeah, and it, this is and it's wonderful that the indie indies stepped into this because I mean, we had two of the biggest companies, Konami and Nintendo, doing this style of game, but doing them very infrequently and kind of letting the letting the ground lay fallow for for years at a time. And the indie the the uh, indie industry isn't quite the right word, but indies basically went well, there's a there's a big uh, desire for these kinds of games, and they're not the the companies that created this genre have kind of put them aside, not really doing anything with them. Let's do something with them, and I love that. I I think all of the games we've had has proven that 
Metroidvanias have legs if Konami and Nintendo just decide they want to make more of them. You just gotta put effort into your games, people. Just you know, actually do your do do the job we're paying you for that you should be being paid properly for. Well, I mean, let let's be honest here. Uh, Konami is is only getting paid for pachinko machines. Yeah, that's true. They're making shitloads of money with them. It's hard from like I hate what Konami is right now. It's hard to argue with their success. Pachinko machines yeah, yeah, make but bank. I but see like see Konami wants to make money. Just license out your IP to all the people that actually do something with it. It's but they don't I, want to. It, it's why I I've said there are only two acquisitions in video games I support. One was the buying out of Blizzard of Activision Blizzard because I feel like it's the only way to fix the the fix issues that in fix that. The, fix that garbage fire. Yeah. And the other one is somebody either buying Konami or buying Konami's IPs because they've proven they're never going to do anything with them. Yeah, and like, and then the problem is, if you want to try and buy Konami's IPs, it means you're having to fork over an extra five billion just for the Metal Gear Solid name. So, well, that's the thing. You could buy, you could go. We're gonna buy all of them and leave them with Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, you could literally <laughs> leave that and still pick up their other ones, and it wouldn't be that much. Yeah, if it wasn't for Metal Gear Solid, you could buy that Konami. Much. For, yeah, you could buy Konami for probably five hundred million if it <laughs> wasn't for Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> And I, and I feel like I'm probably being over genuine when, I, when I'm saying 500 million for, for everything other than Melgar Salad. So that's how we're going to end this episode by shitting on Konami. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, I mean, if we could end every episode that way. <laughs> yes, sounds good to me. DLC. If we, shit, if, we're, if we can shit on either Konami, uh, NFTs and cryptocurrency, or uh, loot boxes, that's how we should end every We're episode. going to become a meme. So, yes, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Ah, all righty. But before we close everything out, just want to say once again that if you want more downloadable content, every single episode can be found on our website, dlcpodcast.com. I will once again hit the chat with that. Um, also, every single episode can also be found on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So... All the different ways to get downloadable content into your ears. So, it remains for me to thank everyone in the chat who, who chimed in. Thank you, Wing41. We had Schlifty earlier. And also, of course, our Ron duet, Ron and Ronnie, for Always a pleasure. coming on yep. and yakking about Metroidvanias. So, we will see you next month. But until then, I am Brian... Have a great weekend, everyone. 